daily Bible reading show. This morning, I read the first two passages on Instagram, so I'm just going to finish up the other two um, this afternoon. Just got off a really encouraging call. I was talking to other people, crazy people like me, you know, reading the Bible on the internet, sharing uh, Jesus with their friends, but on various social media platforms, podcasts, and the like. And it's just so encouraging sometimes just to know that you're not the only crazy person uh, on the internet, but also that you're trying to be as faithful and as authentic as possible with what you know about Jesus um, before your friends, before people who know you, not just strangers, but before your friends and your family. And hopefully that's uh, what comes across, you know, that we truly are living out a faith that has been given us in the Lord Jesus Christ and we want to not put on a show. I know that this is called like a daily Bible reading show, but to just be real and natural as possible, what it means for us to read the Bible, pray, um, talk about Jesus every day. At, at least at least that w- that's what I got from this group of Christians I just talked to not 10 minutes ago. It was just so encouraging and very, very motivating for me to just carry on, to try to be even more faithful, to be even more real uh, with what it means for me to talk about Jesus. So yeah, with that being said, said we're going to continue on with our readings today. We're looking at the last two readings, Job chapter 20 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for friends that encourage us uh, in ways that just give glory to you, that remind us of Jesus and his generous love towards us. We want to be such friends to others. We want to be able to encourage them to keep looking to him. And at times that will be just so comforting, but at times that's the difference between life and death. Uh, When we are struggling and we can't see our way out of the darkness, you give us that glimmer of light and hope at the end of the tunnel that shows that this is all worth it. This life that we live for Him is worth every ounce of sacrifice for it's Him who enables us to live this life. It's His sacrifice that has purchased uh, this soul for Himself. Uh, Lord, thank you for friends who are doing this even right now in our churches, in our Bible studies. Uh, Please would you bless them Please, would you surround them with people who will encourage them in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you constantly speak to us and remind us of who you are by your spirit, uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ, and especially about the cross and his salvation. Lord, help us to see this. You know, we're reading some Old Testament passages, some letters. Help us to see this as clear as day to see the Lord Jesus Christ and to understand what it means for us to truly live in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are on to Job chapter 20. Then so far the Namathite answered, Therefore my thoughts answer me. Yeah, that's on the screen. Yeah, Answer me, even by reason of my haste that is in me. I have heard the reproof which puts me to shame. The spirit of my understanding answers me. Don't you know this from old time since man was placed on earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, the joy of the godless, but for a moment, though his height mounts up to the heavens and his head reach to the clouds, yet he will perish forever like his own dung. Those who've seen him will say, where is he? He will fly away as a dream and will not be found. Yes, he will be chased away like a vision of the night. 
The eye which saw him will see him no more, neither will his place see him any more. His children will seek the favor of the poor. His hands will give back his wealth. His bones are full of his youth, but youth will lie down with him in the dust. Though wickedness is sweet in his mouth, though he hide it under his tongue, though he spare it and will not let it go, but still, but keep it still within his mouth, yet his food and his bowels is turned, it is cobra venom within him. He has swallowed down riches and he will vomit them up again. God will cast them out of his belly. He will suck cobra venom. The viper's tongue will kill him. He will not look at the rivers, the flowing streams of honey and butter. He will restore that for which he labored and will not swallow it down. He will not rejoice according to the substance that he has gotten, for he has oppressed and forsaken the poor. He has violently taken away a house, and he will not build it up, because he knew no quietness within him. He will not save anything of that in which he delights. There was nothing left that he didn't devour, therefore his prosperity will not endure. In the fullness of his sufficiency, distress will overtake him. The hand of everyone who is in misery will come on him. When he's about to fill his belly, God will cast the fierceness of his wrath on him. It will rain on him while he is eating. He will flee from the iron weapon. The bronze arrow will strike him through. He draws it out and it comes out of his body. Yes, the glittering point comes out of his liver. Terrors are on him. All darkness is laid up for his treasures. An unfanned flame or fire will devour him. It will consume him, consume that which is left in his tent. The heavens will reveal his iniquity. The earth will rise up against him. The increase of his house will depart. They will rush away in the day of his wrath. This is the portion of a wicked man from God, the heritage appointed to him by God. Just worth pointing out that this is Zophar's speech towards his friend Job. He's, he's trying to teach him a lesson, but it's probably the wrong lesson. Because the lesson is this. The bad guy loses, and he loses quickly. That's why he's trying to say, you know, with this very graphic description of him being, you know, this arrow piercing, what was it, his bile? What was it again? His liver, the glittering point coming, being pierced, and he pulls it out. <laughs> There's a bit of liver there. It's it's this graphic description that he will lose in the end, you know, like any good Marvel movie, you know, the bad guy is defeated in the end. But you have to wonder, you know, does he live in the real world? You know, he speaks out of frustration initially, you know, how the reason of my haste that's in me. I have to say this, it's in me. And so maybe it's not reflective upon the real world. I mean, lots of evil people don't go through this judgment. And that's Joe's point. You know, you're living in this simplistic, you know, Marvel 2D world where you know, all the bad guys lose, but in the real world where we live, lots of bad guys you know, go unpunished. And the opposite on the spectrum, therefore, is Job, who is the good guy, who is innocent. Well, not, not good as in he's a hero or anything, but he is being punished by God in an unjust way. And there are therefore no categories for Zophar, 
for all his wisdom. And these sound, you know, you, you, you could sound like poetry. It's so impressive, but it's a kind of simplistic and mechanistic view of the world that's just unreal. It's what you use maybe to scare kids. Oh, if you do this, the policeman will catch you. <laughs> That's what my uh, parents, you know, lots of Asian parents say. You do this, you know, I'll call the policeman. He'll come and catch you. And, you know, therefore, you, if you do the wrong thing, you know, you'll be caught and you'll be punished. But actually, no. Um, in God's wisdom, he leaves many, many uh, wicked people unpunished. So here is Zophar. He's trying to speak from wisdom, from, from a position of... Uh, intellect don't you know this from old times since man was placed on the earth meaning this is supposed to be the rules of existence since the beginning of time so he's trying to say that this is just the way the world works he's trying to convince him and maybe convince himself the triumphing of the wicked is short it's just a moment you know whatever he has it will just be gone immediately like that i like it's funny how he says he will perish forever like his own dung later on when you go to the toilet you're gonna flush it flush it down you think of this said so that that's how you perish no one no one remembers their own this thing excrement but that's the end that he foresees for the wicked person. You say, where is he? Where, where is this guy that used to be so significant? He'll fly away as a dream. He will not be found. He'll be chased away in the vision of the night. Just, just that memory, that bad uh, dream that you had, it's gone. The eye will see him no more. His children will seek favor of the poor. And the idea is he used to oppress the poor. And here, you know, Zophar is trying, has a sidelong glance at, at Job. He's saying, you know, you used to be rich, right? You used to be rich. Your children used to be rich, but they're all dead now. And it's really cruel what he's saying. By saying, if they were alive and you died, well, they would have to seek for mercy from the people you oppress. And that's the idea of the children seeking the favor of the poor. His hands will give back his wealth. The bones are full of his youth right now. You know, you look healthy. But it'll go down with you to the dust, to the grave. And the rest just talks about how he will receive this punishment, even though now he thinks that he's gotten away with it. The wickedness is sweet in his mouth, though he hide it in his tongue, you know, and it's still within his mouth. But the food that he eats, that he's enjoying so much, it's this devouring of and of, of, of the vulnerable, you know, you're, you're, you're taking advantage of them. So you're eating them up. But once it goes down into your stomach, it turns into poison. This cobra venom within him, it kind of eats you up from the inside. And he swallowed down riches. So again, that's, that's the idea of oppressing the poor, eating this food. He's taking advantage of the poor. It will come out again. He <laughs> will vomit it out. He won't be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor because God has done this. He's cast them out of his belly. belly. And so again, this idea of eating poison that will kill you, you know, and he will just flow away, um, like flowing. He will not see all these prosperity that he longs for the streams of honey and butter and yeah he won't be able to enjoy it essentially there'll be this frustration because he's oppressed and forsaken the poor there you go verse 19 he's violently taken away a house that he will not build it up again so it ends it ends with god 
punishing him. When he's about to fill his belly, God will cast the fierceness of his wrath on him. It will rain on him while he's eating. There's a lot of description of this guy eating, <laughs> eating and enjoying his food, and then suddenly either having this venom boil up inside of him, vomiting out his uh, riches, or God pouring down judgment on him on the outside. So inside, outside, around him, there's there's this judgment that happens while he's enjoying food. And you know, he'll flee from this weapon, but you will pierce him. And as he pulls it out, it comes out of his liver. And you know, that's just really gross, very graphic picture of this injury that he has suffered because of God's judgment, God's arrow. And then he says, the heavens will reveal his iniquity. The earth will rise up against him. Meaning right now, it's not clear. Right now, he looks as if he's enjoying that food, he's enjoying that iniquity, he is getting away with it. But one day, Job, so far as trying to say, one day, the heavens will like open up and he'll show, you are guilty. You know, there's this pronouncement, heaven will reveal it. And then the earth will join in that pronouncement, you'll rise up. And then he'll be like punished from both ends. That, that's the idea. And there's a lot of irony here because Zophar hasn't read Job chapter 1, but you have. You know, if you read Job chapter 1, you have seen what's happened in, the, in heaven. God has pronounced Job as innocent. Actually, the opposite, the exact opposite of what Zophar is predicting happens in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, where God says, Job is blameless. Is there anyone in all the earth like him? He walks before me blameless. And actually, what he waits for is actually his own condemnation. You know, he's saying, God will punish you. Heavens will declare your iniquity. No, heavens will declare your iniquity so far because heaven has already declared that Job is innocent. And therefore, as a reader, that's where you need to get that big picture of God's perspective of suffering in the world and injustice where God actually says to you in his word, do you see? Do you have that right perspective of the world, of how you see that there is injustice in this world, but there is a God who sees everything from his perspective? And not waiting for that day when he will pronounce it, but he has already revealed it to you in his word. You should be able to be able to differentiate between real evil that is unpunished, that will await that final punishment, and innocent suffering, blameless Christians, who will have to endure suffering in this time, depression and death, and will at times cry out to God for help, but that God looks upon them as blameless and justified and His. Do you see that? You know, Zophar doesn't. He speaks really well. He speaks very convincingly, but do you see that here in God's Word? So that's Job chapter 20. Cool. Um, Moving on to our last chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Oh wow, okay, this is a very, very long chapter, but an important one. It talks about, among other things, marriage and relationships. Who should you marry? Circumstances when marriages break down. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you don't know, is that hallmark chapter uh, that anyone who's even thinking about any kind of relationship as a Christian, any kind of marriage partnership as a Christian, you know, this is like we're the, that go-to passage. But behind it, it's not just talking about marriage, it's talking about that contentment 
in the stage of life that you're in. So if you're married, to find contentment there and faithfulness within that. And if you're single, the same advice actually goes to you as well. To be contented, not to hurry and to desire something that is outside of that stage of life that God has given you, that gift that God has given you, but to try to be as faithful with that as possible, try to see God within that circumstance as possible, and if God changes that circumstance, to be faithful in that as well. So that's, um, well, again, see, I, I just wanted to say that first. Usually I don't do that with any of the readings. I usually read it first, but I think it's just worth making that introduction because 1 Corinthians 7 is just, you keep going back to it again and again, you know, <laughs> um, with anyone who's thinking about relationships. So this is the one to go to. Mm. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And here Paul writes, Now concerning the things about which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of sexual immoralities, let each man have his own wife, and each let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband give his wife the affection owed her, and likewise also the wife her husband. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband, likewise also, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife. Don't deprive one another, unless it is by consent, for a season, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and maybe together again that Satan doesn't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Let's just look at this paragraph. Uh, very quickly, you know, Paul is addressing a concern that was brought to him, that you wrote this about me. And what they wrote to him was presumably this, it is good for a man not to, here it says, touch a woman and therefore not to have any kind of um, sexual relationships with a woman. And on the surface, that sounds really, really good because in chapter 6, he was just talking about that. <laughs> you know, shall you unite yourself with um, someone who isn't your wife, you know, as a prostitute. And therefore, there's a seriousness to that sin of sexual immorality. All other sins outside the body, this particular sin, this one sin, you commit inside the body. And therefore, their reaction is, therefore, no sex at all. At all, 100%. But here, Paul is talking about sex within marriage and how actually the way in which you deal with that temptation actually within the marriage, in talking about married man and woman, is actually not to withhold that from one, one another. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, verse 4. Likewise, a husband doesn't have authority over his own body. Both of them kind of like owe themselves to the other and therefore don't deprive one another unless both of you agree in order to be able to fast, to pray, to be able to devote your time to God and even then only for a limited time so that you can come back together so that you don't fall into other types of temptation. So, here he is addressing that particular concern and says, yes, that sounds very religious, very holy, but not if you're married. If you're married, actually marriage gives you that context, not just because it's good, but because it actually helps you in dealing with temptation. Hence, because of these situations, you know, therefore, if you are married, you should actually have a healthy relationship with your husband, with your wife. So that's the first chapter, first paragraph. Verse 6, by this I say by way of concession, not a commandment, yet I wish that all men were like me. However, each man has his own gift 
from God, one of this kind, another of that kind. But I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. But if they don't have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. But to the married I command, not I, but the Lord, that the wife not leave her husband. But if she departs, let her remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband, that the husband not leave his wife. Now, so he's talking to the married people in the first paragraph. Then he, by the way, there are no paragraphs in the Bible. This is just helpful um, formatting in the in our English Bibles. But there's a single flow going through. But this is this is helpful, having this sections of the Bible to kind of chew on each chunk. So he talks to the single people, having talked to the married people, and he says, actually, it's a good thing, you know, to make the most of your singlehood. He talks about it a bit more later on, but it's a gift. You know, each man has his own gift, one of this kind and one of the other. He's talking about singleness is a gift, marriage is a gift, and so if you have the gift of marriage, you know, rejoice in that gift. But if you don't, then you have the gift of singleness, and everyone. Including every married person started out having that gift of singleness, and therefore, if it's something that's a gift, it's given to you by God, and therefore, it's something to be faithful with, something to rejoice with. So, if you're unmarried and you're single, and to the widows, that means you were married but your spouse died, therefore, it's actually good to remain as you are. And this, this. You find this phrase again and again. Look out for that. Remain as you are, in this stage, without seeking to change that circumstance, unless it's well, you can't control it. If you don't have self-control, then it's not a bad thing. You know, do get married because it's better to marry than to burn. And some translations have burn in passion, but really, this is a this is a very accurate one. It just says burn, and so it could. It could mean that you're burning with this passion. I really, really want this relationship, or especially you, if you're struggling with, um, you know, sexual temptation. And then, you know, better to be married than to remain in that kind of situation. But also, burn here could be talking about, you know, then you're led into sin, and then you commit that sin, and therefore you burn <laughs> at the at the end of the age. That means you actually suffer judgment before because of this. So that's why he says to the singles, he say a bit more, but immediately he talks to the married. He says, again, this is a concession. You know, this is this is not this is a command from the Lord Jesus Christ to stay married. You know, this is this is not just advice. So this is actually the sanctity of marriage and the preciousness of marriage, and not to break down that marriage if you can help it, because he says, if you, the spouse departs. Then don't seek to be married、uh, too quickly, but to again try to seek that way of mending that partnership, that relationship, and therefore both to the husband and to the wife, the wife please don't leave to the husband not to leave as well. And the reason he sets this up is because there's another situation he's going to deal with in verse twelve. So this is verse twelve, kind of like a sub category of this、uh, command to stay married and to guard that marriage. Verse twelve. But to the rest, I, not the Lord. So this is no longer not that big command, you know, that you have to try to do your best to keep that sanctity of marriage. He says, I says this. Paul says this. If any brother has an unbelieving wife, and she is content to live with him, let him not leave her. 
The woman who has an unbelieving husband and she is content to live with her, let her not leave her husband. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified in his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified in the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbeliever departs, let there be separation. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace, called us in peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only as the Lord has distributed to each man as God has called each, so let him walk. So I command in all the assemblies or all the churches. So here, Paul has just talked about, you know, marriage, so important. Don't leave. Key the marriage. But now he deals with a situation whereby you are married to an unbelieving husband, or you are a wife, you're, you're, so wife married to an unbelieving husband, or you're a husband married to an unbelieving wife. And the situation might be that you were both unbelievers, but then you became a Christian, but then your spouse hasn't yet. And what happens if, as a result of you becoming a Christian, your spouse leaves you? So that's the situation. It's quite specific, it's quite niche, but it's not uncommon. So that's why Paul says it's, it's what Paul says, but not not it's not not a scriptural command and this is sometimes called the pauline exception so uh, for there to be this dissolution this this separation in the marriage so if that happens the woman who has the unbelieving husband if your husband is willing to stay with you don't don't seek to break that marriage and also the unbelieving husband is sanctified in his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified in the husband. There's actually a kind of blessing that comes to them because you're a Christian. And now it's again appreciating that it can be difficult. There will be situations where it will be just so much tension arising because you want to go to church, you want to worship Jesus, and maybe they don't, and maybe they might be offended by that. But even so, if they are willing to stay with you and stay within marriage, don't seek that breakup because, he says, they're sanctified. There's a kind of blessing that comes to them and also to your children, if you have any. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but now they are unholy. Meaning, actually, children, it doesn't mean that the children therefore automatically become Christian, but there is a kind of blessing that comes to children. They're born in a family where even if just one of them one of the, 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 the parents is a Christian. You know, God looks at them as his. So yet, so what happens if they don't want to stay and they leave? So he says, if the unbeliever departs, then actually let there be the separation. You know, you are not bound in this situation because God has called us in peace. And here it's peace not in coming together, but peace actually in this sad sad breakup because the unbeliever no longer wants to remain with the believing spouse and he says he, he almost anticipates oh i anticipates the husband and wife saying oh no but we have to stay together because i want andy to save my husband and my wife and it's so pastoral what he says here how do you know whether you can actually save your husband or your wife it's not actually up to you and so here is dealing with a level of conscience where the the believer, the Christian, just feels so torn and says, I, I, I want to hang on to this. But he's being realistic. And again, this is from Paul. It's his exception. It's not a binding scriptural thing, but he, it's out of wisdom. He says, you know, don't put this pressure on you that you can't 
handle. It's not really for your place to save another person. It's really only God can do that. But again, only as the Lord has distributed to each man, as God has called. Therefore, here God, you know, God's calling to you not just to be a Christian, but to be a Christian husband or a Christian wife. You know, so walk as that Christian husband and Christian wife in that calling. And so this is something that Paul has given as a as as a command in all the churches. That's that's hard. Um, again, you know. If you've never encountered this, by the way, I know this is something that really you should chew over. And especially if you're in such a situation, I, I just want to say that I really empathize with that. Um, it might be a shock to actually read this in the Bible. It's so clear, but at the same time, you know, it doesn't replace uh, maybe looking at this passage together with your pastor, uh, praying about this, just understanding this, and having that conviction that God really is saying this about your situation which might be different again might have that nuance but still god actually god's word has just speaks into so many life situations that you'll be surprised actually god has an opinion and his advice and his direction in those situations that you're in verse 18 was anyone called having been circumcised switches switches uh, topics but but there's a connection here because called called but now called being circumcised let him not become uncircumcised has anyone been called in uncircumcision let him not be circumcised circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of god let each man stay in the calling in which he was called were you called being a bond servant don't let it bother you but if you get an opportunity to become free use it but he who is called in the lord being a bond servant or a slave is the lord's free man likewise he who is called being free is christ's slave or christ's bond servant you were bought with a price don't become bond servants of men brothers let each man in whatever condition he was called Stay in that condition with God. By the way, verse 24 is almost like the key, big verse, big idea of this entire chapter. Each person, in whatever situation you were called, that means whatever situation you became a Christian, whether you're married or unmarried, whether you were circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you are a slave or you're free, don't be in a hurry to move out of that situation. Stay in that condition with God. Isn't that interesting? You know, sometimes because we've just come into this relationship with God and so many things look different, th different, everything has changed. We therefore want to change that circumstance. And actually, here's the Bible saying, don't be in a hurry to do that. In fact, God has called you in that situation so that you can be faithful as a Christian in that situation, if that makes sense. So if you're circumcised, if you're a Jew, you know, not being uncircumcised <laughs> i'm not sure how you reverse that but the idea is that maybe you don't abandon your jewishness you know if you're chinese in other words you know don't abandon being chinese now of course you know there are things they need to be wise about like idol worship you know some things that really just go against the grain of being a christian but actually eating chinese food going to chinese uh, restaurants not chinese temples <laughs> but you know even celebrating chinese new year don't 
you know, why? You know, it's nothing. In other words, you know, it, it doesn't make you a Christian, but actually there's a kind of faithfulness of how you become a Christian and remain a Christian in your circumcision or your Chineseness. Or if, or more importantly, if you were uncircumcised, don't seek to be circumcised. You know, there's a lot of pressure on those who were not Jewish to adopt Jewishness. Or, you know, here in the UK to be more Anglican, you know, to be more a particular kind of Christian that everyone says, you know, this is what it, actually that has nothing to do with the Bible, but actually it's more cultural, to be, it's more just tradition. But actually, no, God says that has nothing. It's nothing. It's really amazing that for Paul to write this, this verse, circumcision is nothing but keeping the commandments of God. So it's not just nothing, but actually you're seeking to obey, obey this book, obey, the, obey God's word. And again, this key verse, stay where you're called. You know, bonds, if you're a slave. Now, this is huge. You know, he's speaking to a church, which means lots of them are slaves. You know, I was talking to some friends earlier on. I, I was trying to get them to imagine if they were from Nepal and you're a construction worker, you know, you're an immigrant or you're just someone who serves drinks at the mamak stall, you know, in Malaysia. And your dream is to work your way out of this poverty to change. Can you imagine Paul saying to them, stay the construction worker, stay in this situation. Now, if you can change, of course, take that opportunity. Don't don't miss that. But still, you know, God has called you in that situation and there's a faithfulness to be lived out in that situation. In the same way, the person who is free actually is not free. He's actually Christ's slave. By the way, all these words, bondservant, 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 is just the word slave. You're owned. You're not your own. You're owned by someone else. Either you're owned by Christ, in which you're a Christian, or in some measure you're owned uh, by your boss. You know, you've signed a contract. But don't be bondservants of men. It means don't be enslaved in a sense that... Uh, realize that Christ is your true master. He has paid for you with that price and therefore he owns you. And therefore there's a way for you to live out that ownership and to reflect that, that, that ownership in your life, even as a slave. In fact, I wonder, I wonder actually if slaves understand this better than people who are not slaves. People who have to, you know, depend on God every day for their living, for their bread, understand this a bit more than people who don't have to think about, you know, what do I buy for lunch today? And you know, I just spend it. I don't even keep track of, you know, actually people who are in a position of vulnerability, of poverty, or maybe even abuse. And, you know, it's so sad. And Paul again says, you know, if, if it's, if you have the opportunity to change, please do. And he's speaking only to the slaves in this situation. But even so, they understand what it means to belong to God and to serve a good master compared to those who have never undergone that kind of situation in life before. Okay, all right. Chapter, verse 25, carrying on. Now concerning versions. I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who has obtained mercy from the Lord to be trustworthy. Therefore, I think that because of the distress that is on us, that it's good. For a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be freed. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have oppression in the flesh, and I want to spare you. But I say this, brothers, the time is short, that from now on both those who have wives may be as though they had none, 
and those who weep as though they didn't weep, and those who rejoice as those they as though they didn't rejoice, and those who buy as though they didn't possess, and those who use the world as not using it to the fullest, for the mode of this world passes away. But as I desire to have you to be free from cares. He who is unmarried is concerned for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is also a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own profit, and not that I may snare you, for but for that which is appropriate, that you may attend to the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks that he is behaving inappropriately toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of her age, and if need so requires, let him do what he desires. He doesn't sin. Let them marry. But he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no urgency, but has power over his own will, and has determined in his own heart to keep his own virgin as well. So then, both he who gives his own virgin in marriage does well, but he who doesn't give her in marriage does even better. So here, Paul is not talking about、uh, good and bad, but he's talking about you know it's okay, it's good, but what is better? He's comparing being single and being married. He says, "Being married, that's 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 great, and especially if you made that promise, you're betrothed. You know, he, he who who he who gives in marriage, you know, does well. But actually, there is something even better than that: to be able to be free from the pressures of marriage, to be able to focus on the things of the Lord. He calls that in verse thirty-two. He applies it to the men, but also to the women. You know, things of the Lord. Verse thirty-four." And so here he's he's giving again he's giving an advice that he says actually will benefit you. He's not trying to put pressure on them, but he's trying to say that it's actually a good thing for you to remain as you are, especially if you are single, if you are a virgin,、uh, if you are、uh, married. Though don't don't change. So so he he he's so cautious. That I'm speaking to the single people. By the way, if you're married, don't don't. This is not for you. But if you are not married, then don't be too hurry, hurry to go to seek marriage. And you know, if you do marry again, he says that's not a bad thing. It's not a sin. It's a good thing. Again, he says here, it's a good thing. At the end, but you know, actually, there's something very, very precious about singlehood that allows you to devote everything, everything, everything to just what the Lord pleases. If you're married, you're rightly worried, and it's not saying the bad thing. You're rightly concerned with what your husband, your wife desires, and you want to please them. That's a good thing. But there's a division of your attention that happens there. But if you're not, and this is where actually singles,、um, maybe if they hear this, this is a way of putting that focus. And the right things. When you're not married, it doesn't mean that therefore, oh, you can then do all kinds of other things that you know, marriage, marriage, not being married frees you to. You can pursue sports, you can watch Netflix for the whole night, and no one scolds you that kind of thing. No, it actually means that you're free to focus on the Lord to serve Him. And He says there's actually an urgency to this. You know, the time is short. It's not as if you have all the time in the world. You only have your life. Why not use that one life and the wholeness of that life to serve God? And therefore, you know, it's not using it for your own pleasure, 
but almost going against the grain of your own desires. Those who weep as if they didn't weep, those who rejoice as if they didn't rejoice. It's not just about how I feel about things, but actually using everything that we have, you know, to the fullest to serve God. You know, that means it's see, seeing how temporary this world and these passions are. And so being free from these cares is what singleness allows you to do. Be able to focus on the cares of serving God. So again, who is married, unmarried, you know, you can concern yourselves. It's not that you're frequent, but you concern yourselves with, you know, how can I live a holy life for God? How can I speak about Jesus and serve Him in context and maybe even move and, you know, take risks that I otherwise wouldn't be able to do if I had a spouse and a family. I can just focus on how I may please Him. But if you're married, you're rightly, rightly focused on pleasing God, but also your spouse. And so here is this kind of like good, but a better perspective that will shock a lot of people. It will shock those who are very pro-marriage because marriage is great. It's saying it is great. But you know, actually those who are single have that opportunity to do something that actually people who are married might not be able to do. And here, actually, Paul is comparing himself, and therefore he's talking about ministry. If you are single, actually, that is the moment for you to devote yourself, maybe even pour yourself into a ministry, into serving God. And you have opportunities that, you know, someone who is married won't be able to, but you do. And therefore, you shouldn't be given all your attention to, when I get married, I'll do this, or focus, how can I get married? But actually, as you're single, serve God, please Him, use the most of the situation that you've been called into. Verse 39, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if the husband is dead, she is free to be married to whomever she desires only in the Lord. But she is happier if she stay, stays as she is in my judgment. And I think that I also have God's spirit. So this phrase only in the Lord means Christian. You know, you're free, but you're free in the Lord. You know, you're called, but you're called in the Lord. And therefore, you know, if you're bound, uh, it, actually Paul makes the same uh, connection in Romans chapter 7, talking about how you're bound only as long as your spouse is alive. There he's talking about the law, but here he's talking about literally your husband, you know, and, you're, and you stay true and faithful to your husband. And after he's passed away, um, you, yes, yes, you can. You can seek to be married. Um, and Paul gives that concession, by all means, uh, after death. And this is, again, off the back of, you know, <laughs> breakups and separation and of divorce and singleness. This is just the last bit that he's dealing with. You know, your spouse has sadly died and you've been faithful all your life. And, you know, you want to get married again, by all means, Paul says, but it has to be a believer. But he says on top of that, again, that better, better option. You know, actually, if you stayed unmarried, Actually, in my judgment, I think that's a good thing as well. And here I know some churches defer. Some churches say, therefore, if you're divorced, if you're unmarried, you should stay single. And I think that's where they're using wisdom and it's out of love. It's not, it's not meant to be like this rule. It's not like this sin. Um, although some might frame it that way, but it's just for your own sake to be able to serve God all the more. And actually, it's an opportunity to use that phase of life to serve God. So we've looked at all different situations, but again, in all the, these different circumstances, it's just that same principle. Be faithful to remain where whatever situation you've been called in. If you're single, serve God with your singleness. If you're married, stay married and serve God in your marriage. If you're widowed, 
you know, don't be too hurried to change the situation as well. Stay where you are. You know, you can get married, but actually there's a happiness in being able to stay in that situation and serving God in that situation. Also, if you're slaves, you know, if you don't be too hurried to change that, if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, Paul is just thinking of any and every situation. If you're in that job, for example, that you hate, if you're in, you're stuck in a country, if you're stuck in a course, if you're stuck in a location, you just feel stuck. Paul is saying, hey, God called you to be a Christian in that so-called stuck situation. Be faithful in that so that you'll be faithful in any other situation that God may call you to be in. The difference is not the circumstance, it's actually the character. It's your response to Christ in that situation, in every situation of life that God, God has called you to be in. That's a good place to end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us in our situations right now. And you see our frustrations, our failings, and you speak to in, into it so much grace and wisdom and light so that we know how to walk in step with your word, with your spirit. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in the situations that we might be itching to get out of. Help us to be holy in the situations and not to sin. But Lord, if there were a better way for us to do this, and might we involve that change of situation, would you pour out your grace upon us in those situations? But until then, give us that wisdom and that perseverance to still hold on to Christ, to still be faithful in Christ in any and every situation of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take care. See you tomorrow. Bye.